Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Bat Bar podcast here, and Christopher Menning, your host. How's everything going? I uh, hope you've all been keeping well and you're ready to tune in for another incredible episode. Today, we are going to have a deep dive into the history of Mason Ferrand. Uh, Mason Ferrand makes some incredible products, uh, from cognac to plantation rum and Citadel gin, of course. So to take us through that journey of innovation and sort of the history behind distillation, we had the wonderful uh, Alexandra Gabriel, who is the founder and master distiller of Mason Ferrand. Um, this guy has been so impactful, I feel, in the spirits world. He makes some incredible products and uh, he's always been very innovative and creative too. So we're going to touch on his history, how Plantation Rum came around and some of the really experimental products he's made uh, one of them uh, one of my loves is plantation uh, pineapple which is stiggins fancy pineapple we'll get to hear about how that started and uh, yeah i really hope you enjoy this episode um so as always guys if you do like the show please subscribe you can find us on spotify itunes and all other major podcast providers and uh, yeah if you look in the show notes you're going to have all the information about plantation and mason ferrand and you'll also find our Facebook group as well, which you can join. Um, so enjoy listening, guys. Thank you very much. Grab yourself a rum and uh, enjoy. Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the Back Bar. This is Christopher Menning. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to On The Bad Bar podcast. Uh, this is a very special episode for me because uh, this gentleman makes some of the most uh, amazing spirits in the world, which I, I've loved for a very long time. Uh, and it's a pleasure to host him here on the show today. So please, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Alexandra Gabriel. Sir, thank you so much for being here. It's an honor. How are you? It's a pleasure, Christopher. Thank you very much. It's a podcast, so you don't see it, but I'm blushing when you say that. <laughs> well, me too. Me too. You're such an inspiration, and uh, I, I really can't wait to jump into this episode. And uh, we were just talking about cognac, and you're having to make some difficult decisions right now, right? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, you're right. It's it's like every year, you know, Christopher, every year. And I think the guys before me, for hundreds of years, we have to make the decision of when, when to harvest, mm. to find that tipping point where the grapes are at the best. And, you know, you think science makes us and helps us to make a better decision. And I, I don't think it does. You know, I see a ray of sunshine out the window looking at the vineyards right now. And we were told it was going to rain all day. Right. Okay. So, you know, and we're like, maybe we should hurry up to harvest. But now I was with the guys this morning on the phone and then I went to see in the vineyards, you know, and, and we decided to wait a few more days. And you don't know it's going to be a great decision or not. So, okay. so you know, the we think we're going to gain about... Uh, you know, uh, uh, five to 10% more sugar, more alcohol. As you know, cognac is low proof wines, you know, mm. around. And this year we're, now we're at eight, 9%, 8.9. We're hoping for, you know, uh, 9.5. So a daunting decision to make every year. And I think I'm just 
My, I'm just in the shoes of many people before me for hundreds of years trying to do our best. <laughs> well, I'll keep my fingers crossed and hopefully it's a good yield this year. Um, I mean, obviously we're going to chat about cognac and, uh, you know, everything you do at Mason Ferrand. And um, as the owner of Master Blender, I'm sure you've got some amazing stories. Um, but I'd really love to hear actually about your story and your origin of when you jumped into the spirit world. Can we start with that? Well, you know, a lot of people are, are actually born in a distillery and I was born in a vineyard and with a grandfather who was a distiller, what we call in France a bouilleur de cru. Mm. So meaning uh, distilling his own crop, you know, his own uh, récolte, his own harvest. And that was to me, I think, very defining. And, uh, you know, I hear a lot of people talking and you, you think like their life is wonderful and the, the dots are all connected and they are not. I think you, you connect the dots, you know, if you're modest about it, you connect the dots afterwards. But really for me, you know, imagine I'm, you know, grew up in a small farm in South Burgundy, polyculture. So we had, we had cattle, hmm. uh, you know, we had, we had, we had potatoes and, and we had grapes. And we harvested, all harvested by hand. I, as far as I can remember, the harvesting period was always wonderful every year because you got to miss school. And even the teachers were in the field harvesting with us. <laughs> right. I was, I mean, as you can imagine, uh, uh, yeah, harvesting is very, very festive. And I'll remember it, uh, of course, all my life. I grew up with my cousins and stuff. So we we're like six kids in the same household. It was wonderful. And, and, and you know, so to me, in, in retrospect, and as you know, you connect the dots afterwards, that was really defining. And, and I was, you know, like a lot of kids, maybe not easy at school. I, I, I don't handle blind authority very well. Let's put it that way. And, and I, I realized that was defining because I, I always wanted to create a little world with the guys that share the same vision, you know, into making a difference. And I know it sounds kind of, you know, maybe cliche, but making a difference in what you do. Always, uh, always to me, that was really important. And but always underlying everything we do at Maison Ferrand, you, you see, it's about farming, how you make a living with farming. And that's a big, let me tell you, some of my cousins are farmers and some chose going into cattle, uh, you know, and right now they're suffering. Uh, you know, a friend of mine had to sell, cousins of mine has a second cousin had to sell his house just a, a month ago. And, and, and I have a lot of respect. I could have been him, Christopher. Right. And I, I chose differently. But was I wiser? Absolutely not. I think I got luckier, maybe really passionate. I'm, as you know, uh, you know, very, very passionate guy. And I know how it is because I don't sleep much at night. That's how, <laughs> you know, I, because things, yep. you know, a lot of things live in my head, you know, and, and I just wanted, like everybody else, I guess, you know, we all have dreams and I'm for sure a dreamer. And, and, and I tell the team, you know, the best way to, to, to continue being dreamers is to create the dreams we, we have. So we live in our dreams and that's what it's been. So a farming activity and making a beautiful, beautiful products with farming products. So with cognac, it's grapes, right? And with gin, of course, with Citadel, well, guess what? We're growing our own junipers. And that, that was, you know, a dream I had many, many years ago. And I went to see what we call the pepiniristes, you know, the guys that that work with you to, to grow the plant, to, uh, to reach a level where it's ready to plant on your fields. And when I came to them and I said, I'd like, I'd like you to develop juniper berries for me. And they looked at me and they says, oh, a juniper berries now, they're just decorative plants. And I, I don't need decoration. I just need juniper berries to make gin. So he said, well, if you have five years, it's okay. I said, well, of course we have five years. And so we developed the plants and, you know, luckily we're able to start planting five years ago and then we're still planting juniper trees. So, that's what has been structuring to me. And Maison Ferrand 
you know, we started where six people. And so there were five guys with me. Uh, three of the ladies, uh, you know, are still with me. They're real young. We're all real young. I was 24 years old. We're so small with a very, very big dream about doing things that we love to do. I promised them, I'm going to tell you something very intimate. I said, we're going to be a flat structure. We're going to work together. And we live together actually here, you know, like we, I live on site at production and we reinvest everything we make and, and for 32 years. And so the team has grown, but the early, uh, you know, there's three ladies, they're just, uh, one is downstairs from where I sit right now. The other one is at the uh, other end of the corridor and we're still working together. So it's been like this. And then one day leads to the other, but that's always been what was structuring to everything we did, you know, and I realized this after the fact, as you know. Okay, fantastic. It's so nice to hear that you all still have the same team and sort of spent so much time together. That That's incredible. And I mean, it would be really great to talk about some of the products and sort of which one came first. And obviously you're so involved in the ROM world, but I guess this was a bit later on. Was it obviously the cognac came first, I guess? Absolutely. You know, I grew up in South Burgundy mm-hmm. and, and to me, I were distilling Fin de Bourgogne, which is a Burgundy wine that's distilled, or Mar de Bourgogne, when you distill the must. Mm. And my grandfather always said, you know, you taste the Mar de Bourgogne with your ears. You know, I was a little kid and I said, ha, and I'm thinking, you know, he's saying this to my cousins and myself. And we're thinking, you know, you might imagine you're a really young kid. You're like 12 years or 11 years old. So what? You put it in your ear. It says, no, <laughs> you listen to the must. And if you have a lot of, you know, insects buzzing, you know, it's not going to be good. It's too late. It should be fresh. So the Mar de Bourgogne should should start silently <laughs> right okay. so you know that was the kind of lessons we had you know so it's really fresh when you distill it and, and it's funny because i was with friends in the grappa region and they have the same thing where they of course make the best grappa from the very very fresh must but um, yeah the, to me of course cognac was a dream and 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 you know uh, as a, as a young kid i mean i knew i wanted to do farming in some ways you know but i i you know like I told you, I was not taking authority. Well, I've got cousins that went into winemaking. I've learned to make wine at an early age. And I said, you know, I probably need to have my little shop of something, you know, grow something, do my own things. And, and I didn't speak English and I thought English would be important. I have a mother who's a sculptor. She's an artist. And she always says, you know, a good artist, you're a creative guy and a good artist needs to know how to talk about his art. And believe it or not, nobody believes me, but I was kind of a shy guy. A bit intense, always intense, you know, and I'm going to tell you something funny, you know, <clears throat> this mother I had, you know, when, you know, she came and stuff, she always liked to design my clothes. So I always looked like what other kids thought I, I was a clown, you know, I had like this big velvet pants and stuff, very psychedelic where everybody were, was wearing jeans and sneakers. So I had to fight at an early age to fight for my difference back then. And I think I still do now, <laughs> but it's about the <laughs> <Yeah>. spirit. <we> make. <laughs> so anyway, and, uh, you know, um, we, um, we, we, we just, to me, it was a dream. And, and so I went into the U.S. to learn English and I figured I didn't know anything about business. And I saw a lot of farmers struggling and I said, I better learn about business. So I did a prep school. I went to economics. And, and to, to learn the business, the English part and, and the business part. And I thought that was good help because that makes, you know, that helps you run a business so you don't go astray, you can pursue your dream. So to me, it was an important tool, uh, you know, uh, was an important tool to, to, to have. And, uh, and when I was doing this, I started, uh, you know, um, 
looking at opportunities. And I thought since I was going to live in the US and I studied in Japan as well, I tried to learn Japanese. It didn't work, Christopher. I'm too stupid. I tried hard. That's you know, one of the hardest languages. Didn't work. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just learned, you know, the alphabets. And that was after that, you know, that was and I really tried a wonderful culture, but I, I couldn't do it. And so but I thought, you know, there's all these farmers and, you know, growing things that would probably need representation in these countries. So, you know, and I know the products I've, I've grown, you know, made wine. And so I started as a student helping farmers, you know, uh, there was a winemaker and so on. One of these guys was the Ferrand family and I helped them, you know, establish find a little distributor in New York and one in Tokyo. So, and they told me, you know, uh, would you like to partner up? So we, we, we partnered at an early age and actually one of the cousins of the family, which Mademoiselle, we called her, was became kind of a godmother to me and guided me, you know, throughout the cognac world, actually, with very good advice until five years ago when she passed out. She was almost 100 years old. So that's how it started. And it started with cognac. And cognac to my grandfather was like the spirit. Imagine a guy distilling in Burgundy. And so being in it, I think I was probably influenced by that. And But I looked at cognac a bit differently, you see. To me, a great cognac must be the expression of its terroir. And that was always structuring to me. And what is terroir? Now it's a word that has been, I think, abused, but it's not only the land, it's not only the climate, it's the people. It's the people, you know, the people living on that land. What are their dreams? What are their culture? What is their heritage? What do they believe in? Why do they wake up in the morning? What have they learned from the, 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 their mother, their father about making this specific product? And once you know this, you know pretty much everything about Maison Ferrand because I realized, again, after the fact, connecting the dots, that this is really what structures everything we do. If you look through this lens, you'll see that everything we do is based on that. Brilliant. I mean, that, that's so cool to hear about that sort of short history lesson. And, you know, touching on the cognac, I think it's, um, I've, I told you before, I've had it on my bars many times. It's such a great product. Um, I, I wonder, actually, um, do you feel that the sort of uh, mentality of cognac and, and how people perceive it is changing? Are people, um, I'd say, like the younger generation, being more susceptible to, to drinking cognac these days? Well, you know what? It's, it's, it's a, let me tell you one thing. It's always been my dream. You know, cognac, as you know, has been promoted a lot as an image product. And it's funny, I was with some friends last night. We went to bed a little too late and we're talking about this. And we said, you know, it's funny that, the product, one of the spirits, there's so many beautiful spirits out there, but one of the spirits that's the most like hands-on into production, we have our own, you know, our own vineyards and we grow, we're talking about the harvest and so on, has, has sometimes quite a, you know, very, very sophisticated, but sometimes, you know, um, a, a, a very polished image and you don't necessarily feel all the farmers growing the grapes you know and <laughs> struggling like we are like you know this week trying to make these decisions and and having frost and cognac is is you grow your own you know uh, uh, grapes and wine at Maison Ferrand or you buy uh, the house buy from other farmers so uh, to me you know I really thought a great cognac must be the expression of its terroir you know must be the today we go as far as studying the yeast on every field every plot we harvest and understanding the influence and using that yeast from that plot. So when we distill it separately, it's imprinted, the taste is not imprinted only with the fruits, 
but also with the yeast that transforms, as you know, the sugared grapes into the, into the alcohol and the flavors that that specific cognac. So that's, that's a product that's really very deeply rooted and very inspiring, you know, uh, uh, because of that. And in you know, hundreds of years of people growing their grapes and making spirits uh, right here at this very house, for example, for, for me, that was very defining, obviously, right? And being from a wine region, I just thought cognac was very, very often presented maybe generically as a full product. There's a hundreds of cognac. And as you know, we have our own cru, you know, the, the six areas with defined yes. taste from the land and geology. And I actually wrote a book about the history of Grand Champagne, you know, the, the, the cognac, the premier cru. Right. And, you know, the best way to learn is, 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 to, is, is, is to teach. And so, you know, I wanted to write this book to get even further into this knowledge. So that was structuring for us, Christopher. Okay, that's good. I'm going to check that book out. And for the audience, I'll try and put a link in the show notes um, for people to purchase it, because that sounds interesting. Um, Thank you. I'd like to maybe move on to the rum world and, and wonder how did you get into that? And, and now you produce Plantation, which I, I know from being a bartender, you know, in the world, everyone loves Plantation. It's like it's a bartender's rum. You know, that's what a lot of people say. But how did you get into that world? You know, when did it come around? Well, it's funny you say this because, uh, you know, I'm going to sound like the old fart, but I've been doing this for 32 years, Chris, you know? Yep. <laughs> and when I started, I mean, I'm lucky because of guys like you, Chris, you, you, you worked in a bar and there's all these incredible bartenders. And I, I see your eyes here and I know we're in a podcast and I know that passion. And when I started, you know, I meeting. The other old farts, you know, they're going to hate me for saying this. The Dave Warren Rich of this world, the Paul Packle, the Dale DeGroff, the, you know, Gary Regan and all these guys. People don't realize we were, we had that huge passion about beautiful drinks. We we're poor. We were making like no money. All of what we're doing our own things. But we really had that passion. I remember when Gary Regan used with Mardine, you know, in a farm or, or you know, in the, in the forest. And, and we had that passion in, um, just before we talk about plantation, you know, what I love about the community, what I truly, truly love is that passion about real products. And remember, at the end of the day, our job is, is to give people a better life, right? Like you go to a bar, you know, how many times I see somebody calling for, you know, uh, vodka, orange juice or whatever. And there's a great bartender saying, you know, uh, let me make, yeah, I'll get you that, but can I make you a drink? You know, it's a quiet day. And if you, if you, uh, you know, if you don't like it, I'll, 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 I'll pay for it. You know, you won't have to pay for it. And then that person said, what is this? And the people say, well, it's actually made with rum or with gin or something, right? You've been, you've been there many times. And it's very inspiring for somebody like me, because I think we are pursuing the same thing, making beautiful things for great emotion and great mo share moment. And that's defining also for me. So imagine a guy, you know, we think like this, and that's why I think, and all the love we receive for the bar community, we, we, we for sure give it back in that sense. And, and so for plantation, and you know, I also created Citadel Gin and Citadel was very intellectual. This is something I wanted to do. You know, I was really young and I wanted to do the best gin in the world kind of thing. And then, you know, when you're young, you think the world is your oyster. And, and so that was, that was the mindset. You know, plantation was a few years later and, and I'm there, you know, I'm trying to sell my secondhand cognac barrels, you know, because you know, when you use your barrels after a while, and remember when you have a secondhand barrel, three to four percent, well, to 3.8 percent of the previous product is in the wood, right? It's, it's just there in the wood waiting to be, you know, uh, you know, kind of 
making love to the next product you put in there kind of thing, right? And so it's right there and tucked into. So if you have like a Grand Champagne, and it was a barrel glut here, but Grand Champagne Cognac like us, usually they're, they're desired, but they, there was a barrel glut. And I said, you know what? I love rum. I got I And I have, I knew and had a good friend called Thierry Gardère. He was at the time the master distiller at the Barbancourt, wonderful rum. And so I went to Haiti and he said, oh, sure, I'll, I'll buy the barrels, you know, and he invited me. He's daughter, wonderful lady, uh, went to work with us later on, and she's now running the distillery beautifully. And so we're like, you know, that's great. I'm going to buy the barrels. I was like, yes, that's great, you know. And then I get to taste the rum, and he shows me the fields. And, and then after that, I went to Barbados. I went to St. Lucia. I met Rory Barnard, and I, another icon of rum making. I was like, so lucky to meet these guys. And so, you know, um, I fell in love with rum, Chris. I was like, and you know what I thought was the most wonderful thing about rum? It had that both heritage, qualitative methods that people really, at the time, didn't really, I mean, some people knew, but a lot of people didn't, right? People, a lot of people were drinking just, and there's nothing wrong with it, no, but, but rum and coke and not thinking about this, you know? And we're like, really? And I said, you know, I like this. It's the fact that also rum is, is free. You know, there's really a sense of, you know, we are in Jamaica, we make rum that way. And we're in Barbados, we make rum that way. And we're in, and everybody's got their own take and, and it transpires in the taste like great food. You know, if you go to Sichuan in China, the food is so different to the next by province. And it's the same with rum. So it's really this super incredible product with so much technical heritage. And as you know, I'm a technical guy, you know, and I was there, you know, look, I'm trained as a master blender. I arrived there and in Cognac, you know, Cognac is a, is a small village. I mean, it's sometimes feels like high school. Well, like 20,000 people and we're, you know, a few dozens of master blenders. Yeah, a few, few, few dozens of master blenders. So I arrived in there and I'm like, yeah, I know my spirits, you know, and then I see the way fermentation is there. And I like, I felt like a little kid, Christoph. I was like, wow, I want to know everything about this. And, and, and luckily, luckily, I had a few mentors that opened the doors of the Caribbeans for me. And actually, just giving you a little breaking news, but where I'm going to honor them with uh, the guys that meant so much to me with rum, with an addition uh, uh, next year, you know. And so Angelique is in a honeymoon and marketing, so she's not listening to us. So I can tell you this, otherwise she'd be mad. And, uh, <clears throat> you know. So we're going to do this because, you know, after 32, soon 33 years doing that. And, and I said, you know, I want to showcase this. And, and it was so inspiring. Remember, we said the Shakespeare's of spirits are not really researched the same way as the Shakespeare of literature, except for guys like Dave Wondrich and my Patrix and these guys. And that's why I love the work these guys do. I love to work with them. And I said, I can do something with this. And we started going back into the heritage of double aging and cherry picking the best barrels. And that's how plantation started. Three vintages at the time. One was Barbados, one was Jamaica, and one was Trinidad. And the rest, you know, has followed after. Imagine I'm a production guy, and my dream was to get married with the distillery. And so I was looking around, and, and that was really a dream because it's really the marriage of two teams. And that's how plantation really came to life. Fantastic. I'm I'm interested because you know you said you fell in love, and I can see why it's um such a fantastic industry in that part of the world as well. Did that um you know the tours you had and and being able to meet all these amazing people uh, did that affect how you did distillations and production in your other products? 
Yeah, that's an incredibly good question. And the answer is a capital yes, you know, uh, because, you know, I think, you know, I have a mother who's an artist, she's a sculptor, and she always says, you know, the great artists also go to other artists and, and, and you learn so much from the others. And, and, and you know, because, and, and, you know, sometimes it's just not only, uh, uh, you, you know, your curiosity gets excited, but sometimes you're like, shit, you know, I, I think I can do this as well. And then you learn from that and the other guy feels the same way. And it's like a creative competition. So I've worked with, you know, more than 50 different master blenders, master distillers in the world. And it's like, I mean, you're too young, but it's like kids exchanging baseball cards kind of thing. You know, it's <laughs> like you, you, you end up with a better deck, you know, each of you. And so that's what we've been doing. And uh, and so that was really the, the 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 way we worked, you know, with the, with the different uh, uh, people, and we had these shared dreams, you know. And Laurie Barnard is a good example, and he passed away, and unfortunately, a lot of these guys now, I mean, they were older, but he passed away, and 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 his dream, he says, you know what, I would love to get a cognac still. Can you ship one to me? And I was about to ship one, and then we heard it was really sick, and. And, and, you know, and then he, he showed me the way he was making his rums and, and opened the door of other distilleries by calling his friends. Mm. And so that, that's really, that's really what was structuring to me. Fantastic. That's really good to hear. I mean, a plantation, I could talk about plantation all day, um, <laughs> but there's one that sticks yeah. out for me, um, which I know uh, being in Bangkok, um, um, unfortunately the bars are still shut, but hopefully opening soon. The, the Stiggins Fancy Pineapple is one we all have for shots. When we go to one friend's bar, it, that's the bottle that comes out and it's the bartender's handshake as a shot. Um, that's incredible, that product. Uh, where did the inspiration from that come from? Well, you know, this product almost didn't make it to market. You know, we create a lot of products here. And yesterday I was with some friends, you know, from the UK and from Texas and we're sharing, I'm showing them the experiments and what we're working with. And one day I receive a phone call from Dave Wondrich and, you know, incredible guy, as you know, do a lot of research and says, and we've done products together, you know, think about the Ferrand Curacao, the dry Curacao, going back to the true original Curacao. And he was the one who helped me at the end, toward the end of the development of the 1840 uh, Ferrand, you know, original formula. And one day he calls me. And so we, we had, you know, we, we know how to work together. And he calls me and he said, Alexander, what about a pineapple rum? And, and, and let me tell you, I thought it was a joke. I'm like, yeah, yeah, David, and we could make a blue curacao as well, right? And, and like, that was the <laughs> yeah. conversation. He said, actually, I'm serious, Alexander. I said, okay. He said, I got these patents, you know, from the Caribbeans, you know, from the early 1800s. And it's, they, they look like Swiss cheese, there's missing parts. But there's one guy, I want, you know, that I think should give it a go is you. And I said, okay, just, just send it to me. And, and, and I looked into it. And one of the patents called for using the skin of the pineapple, but it, it didn't, the rinds, but it didn't tell you how, you know. So you were like, okay, uh, how are we going to do this? Um, and, you know, remember, I just had worked on the Curacao where we distilled the skin of the orange. So I tell the team here, you know what, we're going to distill the skin. And we didn't know, you know, how, and we started infusing the skin and, and then I realized, you know, I got to learn about pineapple, man. You know, I, I know about grapes. I know about cane. I know about juniper berries. So I have a friend who's in the, there's a big international market. It's beautiful called Rangis. One day I got to take you there in France where you have all the professionals going. And there's a guy, he's like Mr. Pineapple. He's the specialist. And, and, and so it was introduced to, to him. And I said, can you send me like different pineapples every day at the distillery in Cognac? And he did for three months. And so every day we would have pineapple. We have breakfast together here with the team. So we'd have 
pineapple for breakfast. I mean, some of the guys were like, can we just have another fruit this morning? And I said, no, no, we got to learn about the pineapple. Mm. And we're looking with a pineapple with a beautiful smell in the, in the uh, you know, aroma in the skin. When you smell it, it should be perfumey. So I can capture that with distillation. And of course, a beautiful flesh that we could infuse. So we really researched it. And, you know, we're looking at Jamaican pineapple that was pretty good. There was some Suriname pineapple that were great. And then we discovered the Victoria pineapple from, uh, from the Iranian island and Mauritius. And that was delicious. And I'm like, they're, little, they're little, very little. They're, they're expensive. That was the problem that they're very little. We work directly with farms. And so we skin the pineapple. We distill the skin in the white rum and it's three star. And then we do a perfume with the skin and the flesh we infuse into the, uh, uh, the original dark, like a, a darker older rum. And then we basically blend the two together and back in a barrel. And then we made two barrels with one for us, you know, in, in the distillery and friends coming over. And then the other one we wanted to do for the caps at Tales of Cocktails. Remember, the, I don't know if you, you know, but the caps work so hard. And, and we gave this and after that people said, we want more of that thing. And one day I called Day One Rich to talk about something and I hear his wife in the background saying, we want more pineapple rum, you know? And then my wife, you know, who usually, you know, when we're together, she's, can we talk about something else than distilling? And then she starts telling me, you know, I said, no, you gotta make more of that pineapple rum. I said, I thought that when we're together, we don't speak about distilling. And she's like, yeah, but today is a different day. So we made, we made more. And thanks to, to both of them, you know, Debbie's wife and uh, Debbie and uh, of course, uh, and then so we did that and we made another barrel and another barrel. So it made it to life. And, and, uh, and so it just happened by chance, you know, that it's on the market. And I owe it to all the people who gave me encouragements about it, you know. It's really such a great rum. And uh, for listeners who haven't tried it yet, please go find yourself a bottle. Um, just drink it. It's, it's amazing. Um, I, I love that, as you mentioned about David Wondrich, and I can imagine both of you um, creatively coming to together, having so much fun about making these products. Um, do you, I mean, do you have a lot of experimentation going on on a daily basis? Are you constantly trying to find uh, new ways to innovate? Is that something that's quite regular? You know, it's every day for us. I work, usually it's uh, in between half a day to a full day with a team. Originally, I did it on my own. And then since, you know, I got a little more money, assembled the team. The team working with me originally, Chris, uh, that, that, that taught me uh, my job, they were all guys. And most of them, all, you know, retired except one, Luke, but he's retiring next week. And uh, it's like, you know, uh, your father retiring kind of thing. And he's an incredible guy. And then, you know, um, you know I got to train uh, a younger team that I got to choose. And so now I got uh, Fanny and Fanny wanted to be a, she wanted to make perfume in her life, you know, and that was her dream as a young girl. And she's now a distiller with us and doing research. And then Nicola, who did a, his PhD thesis on the terroirs of cognac. So these guys work with me and we research every day, all the time. You know, recently we made a gin that we have an island here right next to us called Ile de Ré. And, you know, in the, in the marshlands, there's these guys that grow this pharmaceutical plant, you know, that are, you know, and I, I decided to make a gin with it. And when I distilled it, it smelled a little bit like sushi, but a lot of the guys were like, you know, and so I show it to the team, the sales team, and it says, guys, if you, if you think you can sell this. So we have, I promised the team I was going to do a room upstairs at the chateau with all the products that never made it to market. So we always that's research cool. things and that, that's so feeding, you know, like, mm. you know, I'm, I love creating these products. And so Stiggins was one of them that made it one of these five legged legged sheeps that made it out of the farm kind of thing. And so you, you'll see some of them coming out once in a while. But yeah, we create probably, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, I want to say 30 to 40 products every year and we launch one or two. Okay, brilliant. I mean, what I'd like to talk about next is maybe um, how the spirits world has changed. And I, I was thinking over the last 10 years, but obviously you've been doing it for 32, I think you said, right? But I might yeah. change the question a little bit because you mentioned about hiring new teams and maybe the best question here is like, how is... Um, how has the sort of um, distilling well changed in terms of the, the younger generation coming in to, I guess, take your job, right? The distilling. Is there like a huge difference now? Or is that, you know, the old and new coming in? What would you say about that? You know, I, I love music. You know, I play the keyboard. My wife is a drummer. And I think it's the, you know, we're, we were at the early days of rock and roll. You know, like you just, you just, you know, you're there. You just got this passion. You work with other people and you got the old... Uh, Hopefully you meet Keith Richards and all these guys, right? And then now you got these new guys who are coming and, and they're, they're lucky because they see the, the old, I think it's the same in the bar world. Don't you think, Chris? You, you had like the early guys, you know, when you think, and then you got that new generations and they come from, a, a, you know, a, a background. We, we call it here, vieille cave and nouvelle cave. You know, the vieille cave is the guys that learned with their hands into the products and from a farming background. And the new guys come, with some scientific background and, and at different levels. And they come, and not everybody, but the, the, you know, the, 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 and then, and then I, I start to tell them, you know, what you've learned during your PhD is great, but it will never be more than 20% of what you need. You know, the rest, the 80% of what you need, it's right in the middle of your face. It's your nose and it's your palate. And why? Because any chromatography, any analysis, you know, can is never as precise as as pretty much everybody's nose and palates, and especially master master blenders. So I think there's been that new wave now of guys who are coming in. I see a lot of them because they come here and they oh, you know, and 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 I've got to really I think choose some of the best guys to work with me. It's like you know assembling a, a new rock bands because the other guys uh, uh, you know uh, retired, and that's what I did. I would call these guys and read the, the uh, work that they did or tasting something and and they, they join in at very very young you know and then we work together so i think it has worked and changed on the distilling and production and our world i'm just going to give you a quick example when i created citadel and i launched it in 1996 it was not looked at it very positively in cognac to put it very mildly you know uh I even received, you know, believe me, I'm, I'm, I admit I'm a little superstitious. So I even received like a, a letter with like, like in the movies, you know, with the, the prints from the newspaper saying, you know, like basically we're going to kill you, you know. And what? I don't know if it was a joke, but I, I, I was scared. I burnt it, you know, like, and I'm like, and, and possibly the daughter or the son of that person is now making gin in their cognac stills, right? But that was not that way because that has totally changed, you know originally it was like you're going to corrupt it and yet if 150 years ago 120 years ago that's what people were doing where i sit and then people start looking at it by saying you're crazy you cannot do this this is corruption and of the of your own stills and all this stills love making both cognac and gin and and it's wonderful and now people think it's normal so yeah of course we do that and you know i'm, I'm, and I'm thinking okay it's a good thing i guess and and uh, so that has changed also very much you know the way that that, that, that I think people got more open, uh, you know, to innovation, new things, to research about history, you know, and that, that's what we're about. And I think that's important. 
fantastic. Uh, it's great to hear you kind of pushed on with that innovation. Um, I mean, it'd be good to hear what your, you know, you've had such an incredible career making these amazing products and, and building your team around it. But what's been your personal um, biggest success in, in your career? You know, if, uh, when I think about it, you know, uh, what I'm very proud of, to, to us at Ferrand, you always do two things, right? You see it is this creativity, getting inspired by a lot of the history and trying to make products that are, you know, trigger emotions, right? And I always say to the my friends, bartenders, I, I, I make the instruments and you guys play the music, right? And sometimes if I give you a violin, you may just want to play the violin and serve it straight a certain way. Or you're going to create an orchestra with different you know, like a great, great cocktails. And so creating the emotions with that, I think that's that, and that creativity, I'm just was born that way and pushing this. And the second part that I'm really proud of is, is, is really creating a community that loves to work together and creating and, and you know, and, and also as we get a little bigger now, doing this, not only us as a community, but the community we live in. So for example, you know, engaging the farming world, not only farming ourselves, but how can we make in Barbados, for example, how can we work with other farmers and and how and share that dream together? Because as we grow, we said, you know, we, we were so small when we started. Think about it, six guys, you know, now we're, we, we grew. We're, we're much smaller than what people think because the products are around, but you know, um, but we grew for sure. So, you know, we are thinking, you know, and I'm so proud of one thing, is, is this community that we've created, you know, of, of, of guys. You know, you got Guillaume in the US. He's been by myself for 22 years. You know, he started, you know, with this big dream. He's from the wine country. And we said, you know, um, you should go in the US and maybe open the market there, you know, because I used to go and talk to the distributors and because, you know, and talk about the products. And Guillaume's done it his own way. And, and I could tell you this with many, many things. We got Manuel. Manu, he started here on a forklift. And now he leads a team of, eight people or six, you know, six and now eight soon fixing the buildings because, you know, we, we, it's, it's much cheaper if you do it yourself, right? We're very handy. It's like a farm. <laughs> right. We have all the plowers. We do everything ourselves. So I'm really proud of this, of having this community, you know, um, living, living a dream and sharing a dream and hopefully enlarging this to more and more farming activities. So that's, that's something that in a very modest and humble way that, that I, I wish to continue doing. You know what, Chris, we forget one thing behind every bottle, whether it's a good spirit or bad spirit, there's a farmer, lady or gentleman who is farming some products. And when you look at every mm -hmm. product behind a bar, that, that's an important point, something to keep in mind. So engaging that aspect of it is, you know, like I said, you know, something that I was early on in it, but that's something I feel proud about. That's good to know. And I think you're right. It's something we should all think about as well. That there is so much going on behind the scenes, behind some of our favorite bottles. We've got a couple more questions before we wrap up. Um, this question, how can I phrase it? I can't ask you what your favorite spirit is because they're all your babies and that would be quite hard to answer. But what's your, Thank um, you. maybe what has been your, um, your favorite way to drink some of your spirits or how have you seen it around the world being best served? Could be any of the bottles. I tell you one thing, what I love, imagine you create a product, like you were talking about Stiggins Fancy or the OFTD, you know, uh, mm -hmm. plantation. And actually, I'm sitting in the chair David was sitting in when he said, oh, fuck, that's delicious. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned <laughs> that. There was 300 glasses on that very table, 300 glasses. And, and you know, um, you know, it's such a pleasure when you have these products and, and you go in a bar and, 
I like to say, yeah, you know, just just why they say, what do you fancy? And I say, yeah, maybe something on rum, but do you think of something on cognac or gin? And, and, and you see somebody getting really excited, creating something with it. And it's beautiful. So whether it's a, you know, a, a French 75 or whether it's a, you know, it, it's a Mai Tai or whether I mean, it's an old fashioned or maybe, you know, a, uh, like you say, could be also a shot of Ziggins, you know, uh, you know, because these moments, these handshake moments are, are special. So, you know, I, I like to be in the, you know, when I distill and blend, I'm in the driving seat with the, with the team. And it's great to be sitting in the back and having like a great bartender is, you know, just driving that car and taking it on. So that's, that's, that's very special moments. And let me tell you, Chris, I'm so happy that the bars and I, I hope in Bangkok and in Thailand they will reopen. Uh, you know, I was in Paris and yesterday and the last week I was in Kiev. I'm now back, as you know, for the harvest in Cognac. And, and it was so nice to be back in the bars, you know, and, and it, it's a wonderful thing. The, the world needs bars. We need bars, you know, absolutely. And we are if, if somebody was not convinced, I'm sure they are right now after, uh, you know, these almost two years of craziness. Yeah, 100%. I completely agree. And so, I mean, just to wrap up, I mean, it'd be really great to hear what's next for Mason Ferrand and if there's anything in the pipeline or anything you can share. Well, if you have 10 hours, we could talk about this, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and what's next is going to be, of course, in the same, on the same vein and philosophically, you know, is involving more, you know, about the, uh, you know, we're going to plant more juniper berries. We're going to, you know, that's important to us. We're researching and working. We are farming projects in Barbados. You know, um, uh, I'm going to give you a little, a little secret here. Uh, you know, what we did with Stiggins, you know, I see all these beautiful coconuts in Barbados. And you're going to think, oh, no, he's crazy. And we said, you know, 99.999% of the rums made with coconuts are flavors, you know, uh, and, and, and often artificial. And I said, wouldn't it be nice? You know, we're, we're just going to do it for Barbados first and see how it goes and how people like it. We have only very little and, and uh, of coconuts. And I, I've spent and met farmers of coconuts and this wonderful guys is Mr. Nichols. And I really, 78 years old, reminds me, uh, reminds me my, my grandfather. And, you know, that was a father figure to me. And also another one, Mood Patel, who's, you know, the president of the uh, farmer and uh, president of the association. Uh, he has a farm called Cocoa Hill Farm. If people go to Barbados, suggest you visit it. It's all organic. It's wonderful. And we said, what about engaging this and making something fun and delicious, really important, using a real coconut. And, and I worked at it for three years and a half, Chris. Usually I get it, you know, but here we just couldn't because it's, you know, coconut doesn't really distill easily. So we had to infuse, a, uh, infuse it and we're using one coconut for each one liter bottle. So, uh, so, you know, this is something that really, you know, we're gonna do, we're gonna do it one coconut at a time and it's going to be not faster than we can grow them takes four or five years to grow a coconut tree with the, you know, with the team and re-engaging this. Also, the, the, uh, the uh, you know, we, we believe in organic farming. So very soon all our juniper berries will be uh, certified organic. Also, a little, if you like Stiggins, I'm making a little limited edition of Stiggins that I, I've been aging further in uh, teeling smoky barrels, you know, pitted barrels. So it's going to be, uh, you know, the, the smoky formula for Stiggins. So that's, that's I, I actually finalized the product last night. And, and uh, you know, it's delicious because it's like roasted, roasted pineapple. So we thought that was, that was uh, really important. And of course, 
you know, making the distilleries less impactful for the environment is a big dream for us. And that's going to take a lot of our, you know, money, you know, we don't have much cash, but we, every dime we make goes back into it. And, and, you know, my dream would be that by 2030, all the our distilling activity is, is, is uh, carbon neutral. As you know, the distillery we got married with in Barbados, West Indies Rum Distillery, and a big hello to the whole team there. There's an incredible team. That's a wonderful marriage. And they know that's the dream and they know we're getting there. It's a quite sizable distillery was, was, you know, much larger than us back in Cognac. And we want that distillery to also be totally carbon footprint. So continuing making and creating, you know, emotion, beautiful spirits and use that, that, you know, got now some know-how with 32 years later for me and engaging the community and, and hopefully, you know, getting towards something that's, that's better for the planet. And I think when you distill that's something and you farm, as you know, farming and distilling, you know, can be done in many different ways and we want to make sure it's done in the right way. So that's what's in the pipeline. Well said. And I think a great way to end the show. Um, so it's been fantastic to have you on. Thank you so much for your contribution to the spirits world. Uh, keep innovating and making these amazing products, really. Thank you, Chris. And keep on doing what you do. We believe, you know, uh, knowledge is pleasure. The more you know, the more fun it is. So it's true as a distiller, but I know it's true when you're on drinking end. So thank you for what you're doing. Very important. My pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. I hope you really enjoyed that lesson. And uh, I hope you're looking forward to trying some of these new products that are coming out. I certainly am. Um, what a great show that was. Yeah, guys, if you want to keep following the show, please do like and subscribe and uh, share with all your friends and family. And uh, hopefully we'll do well. One, one thing to note, I guess uh, I've got a special announcement which I probably should have said at the beginning of the show. And uh, that's it. I'm basically doing a seminar at Bar Convent Berlin. It's a digital seminar. Um, I can't wait to be able to uh, release it and show everyone around the world. Um, it's basically the tools, tactics and routines of industry leaders I've interviewed. And that's basically a compilation of all the wonderful guests I've had on the show. Um, condensed down to a 45-minute seminar um, and all basically the best knowledge I got from them. So, yeah, uh, I'll put that in the show notes as well. You can find it. Uh, once again, stay safe, guys, and talk to you all soon.